The Wings Over New Zealand show is brought to you in association with the Wings Over New Zealand Aviation Forum, New Zealand's number one aviation discussion forum online. There you'll find discussion on all aspects of New Zealand aviation, from history to current affairs and thousands of photos covering the Royal New Zealand Air Force, airlines, general aviation, warbird restorations, air show news, sport aviation, home building, gliding, aviation media and much, much more. You'll be in good company with other aviation enthusiasts, including pilots, engineers, warbird owners and restorers, historians and authors, modelers, aviation photographers and many others. Sign up to the Wings Over New Zealand community now. It's free and easy. Just Google Wings Over New Zealand and you'll find the forum. Hi, it's Matt Jolly from warbirdradio.com. Listen, I am thrilled to have Dave Homewood as part of our broadcast family and bring your stories, the stories of the RNZAF, heard right here on Wings Over New Zealand to our global audience. Thanks for listening and hope to hear from you sometime at warbirdradio.com. G'day, I'm Steve Vischer. And I'm Grant McCarran. And we're from Plane Crazy Down Under, Australia's aviation show. And you can find us at planecrazydownunder.com. We reckon for the best coverage of the Kiwi Warbird restoration and aviation scene, you can't go past Dave Homewood and the Wings Over New Zealand show. On you, Dave. Yeah, good on you, mate. Yeah, we've got to get to New Zealand soon. Where is that anyway? Well, it's where I grew up. I thought that was Brisbane. The Wings Over New Zealand show would like to acknowledge the great support it's had from Fly DC3. You can fly back in time with Fly DC3 from Ardmore Airport, charter the DC3 Dakota and fly into the past. It's an experience you'll never forget. Fly DC3. Go to www.flydc3.co.nz Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood. Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show. I'm your host Dave Homewood. In this episode, I've delved into the archives to pull out an old interview that I did back in July 2012 with Josie Miller. Josie was a WAF who grew up here in Cambridge. I tracked her down up in Whangarei. She was a fantastic lady and a real live wire. Sadly, Josie passed away about a year after I did this interview uh, in September 2013. But she was one of the many girls who volunteered for the Royal New Zealand Air Force as a WAF or Women's Auxiliary Air Force member in World War II. Here's her story. I always start off by asking your full name. Mm-hmm. Can you give me your full name? Edith Josephine Miller. And you're known as Josie? Yes. And your service number? 460. W460. 460, just the three numbers? Two four six zero. Oh. Two four six zero. Oh. Mm. Okay. Yep. And uh, what rank did you get to by the end of the war? Just driver, LAC. Yep. Yep. All we all we transporters stayed put. Because if we start took anything else, we were we had to go out of transport. We wouldn't go out. Right. Right. Okay. And uh, your date of birth and place of birth. Six twelve twenty one, Auckland. You were born in Auckland, but you grew up in Cambridge, didn't you? Oh, yes. Oh, well, I was taken there when I was three months old. Oh, right. Mm. So was your family already in Cambridge? You were just born? Oh, they were in Te Awamutu, most of them. We had farm in Te Awamutu and Cambridge. Oh, right. Okay. I, was, I grew up in Cambridge. So your, your maiden name? Was McGovern. McGovern, right. Mm. Okay. Mm. And... Uh, so sort of growing up, I guess you never really thought about joining the Air Force. Oh, never. When my brothers went overseas, I thought, well, I'm not going to sit around the farm doing nothing. I'm going to join up. I'm going to do something. And as soon as I was able, I did. Because, you see, we were the first of the WAFs then. The WAFs were the first in uniform right. of the women's forces. And, and um, so what did your brothers do? What, when oh, they, they were army. They were farmers. Yeah. Mm. They went away in the army and you wanted to get in. Well, I just joined the Air Force. I liked the Air Force. Tell me about the process of joining up. If you were the first lot in, how did that go? Oh, I wasn't quite the first. There were a few before me. Uh, well, the, the, uh, the, uh, Mrs Kane, 
and all her big wigs from Wellington used to come up and we had to go into the big hall in Claudelands and they interviewed us all. Okay. And they wanted to know all about us and what we would like to do and of course at that stage all that fervour, you know, <laughs> loyalty, we said we'd do anything. And I was lucky I got into transport. Right. right. And I know that you joined up with Gwenda Nicholl. Yes, Gwenda and I joined up the same day. Were there any other girls that you knew? Yes, uh, I think they might be dead. Uh, I can't remember them, do you know that? Yeah. Because yeah. I lost touch with most of them. Because we came north here. And they stayed down south. Right, right. Um, so when you first got in and you were accepted, where did you go from there? Hobsonville. Tell me about that. Well, I, I had a notice to say to, to go to the Banks Box building. <laughs> and I thought, now, where is the Banks Box building? I didn't even know where Queen Street was. <laughs> <laughs> so I wandered round Auckland and I asked someone, I said, do you know where the bank's box is? And this man looked at me as though I was mad. <laughs> I was a real country hick. <laughs> and I got up to this, up with an old building, I think it was up, uh, not Victoria Street, around that area. And uh, I got up there and they said, sit down. So I sat down. And then Gwenda came in, and then another girl came in, Margie, what was her name? I'll get it in a minute. And, and, and a couple of others, and a van came and picked us up and whooped us out to Hobsonville. We didn't know where we were going. And uh, and we went out to Hobsonville, and they, they no big pardons. In the headquarters you go, and uh, so in we went, and we were sworn in, and we had to do... What else did we have to do? Oh, sign some papers and things like that. And then they said, well, you're for transport, and you're for something else, and you're for something else. So across, I went to the transport yard, which I couldn't find. <laughs> and uh, I, there was a warrant officer there, Jackson. And he said, how long have you been driving? I said, well, I don't know. I'd never driven a truck in my life. <laughs> I'm a cheeky devil. <laughs> and he took me to this garage and this enormous truck was sitting there. And I thought, oh, now you've taught it, sis. <laughs> so he said, uh, I'll get in, you drive me round the station. So he got in and I drove round the station. I clashed the gears a bit because they were all double the clutch in those days. And uh, <laughs> and when we got back into the transport yard, he gave me, he said, here's your 658. I said, what's a 658? He said, it's your running thing, where you're going now. You're going to go into the Cambridge Clothing Factory in Customs Street and pick up a load. And I thought, you gods and little fishes. <laughs> I didn't even know my way into Auckland. <laughs> So I got in there, there was a traffic cop on duty at the Custom Street corner, I think. And I said, I've got to get this thing into a, a warehouse along here. Oh, he said, I know where the uniforms are. And I said, that's right. He said, well, you go along there and around the um, tramway, you know, the, the, where the trams used to stop, and don't get hit by a tram. So I went along and I watched and I whooped round and you had to go the opposite way, you see, to get in. And then had, I had to back this truck into just a narrow, those, you know what those parking bays were like. So I got it in there and I thought, gee, you're a smart aleck. <laughs> it was loaded up and uh, I had to, to sign for it. And I thought, now I've got to get home. So I... <laughs> I said to the man in the Cambridge Coding Factory, I said, <clears throat> now which way do I make to get to Hobsonville? He said, Jesus, not another one. <laughs> so I went along, 
passed the farmer somewhere there, I think it was, and I got and I had to get into a a long Williamson Avenue. Always remember Williamson Avenue. He said, if you get into Williamson Avenue, and when you get to the end, don't take the turn this way, take it the other way. So I got to the end of Williamson Avenue, and I turned where I thought was the right one, and I got completely lost. So I rang camp, and I gave my number, and uh, the WO, there were no big pardons. Where the hell are you? And I said, well, I'm somewhere, but I have the faintest idea where. <laughs> so he told me where to go. So I eventually found my way home and unloaded the truck. Then I had to take it back to the transport yard, put it into its garage, and I had to DI it. And that was a daily inspection. I didn't know what DI was uh, for the next morning because I had to leave at 6 o'clock for the wharf. What have I done? <laughs> oh dear, I mean, I'll never forget those days. I used to laugh about it just as when you're young. <laughs> oh dear. And another thing, you don't smoke in your truck. You don't drink in your truck. You don't take passages in your truck. I thought, oh God, what can you do with a flaming truck? <laughs> anyway, into town I went. And I had, there was a lovely uh, chap, a flight lieutenant Dicky, on the wharf. And he was in charge of all the wharf. And, and we used to have to load there and take stuff to only hunger and back and then stuff out to the stores at Hobsonville. And he, he regaled me, he said, you go to only hunger. And then he said, from there, half that load goes out to Hobby. And I thought, how the hell will I get from Odahoo to Hobsonville? You know, we learnt. We did it. We got grilled at a few times, but, <laughs> but we got pretty slick in the finish. Yes, we did indeed. It's quite funny how they just sort of throw you into it like that without. Oh, any no, time. no big pans are, but the first day I went to the mess, you'd die laughing. I didn't know what a mess was. We signed in, you see, and uh, they said, you go to number two mess. I thought, God, where's number two mess? So Nicky and I went off, and we saw a, a long line of airmen, and we all, we had our tin plate, our tin plate, two tin plates it was, and a knife, fork and spoon, and, and a mug. And they said, don't lose that or you don't get any food. So we lined up with these utensils. <laughs> we took our turn as the men, you know, we, we went to. And, oh, my God, when I got inside the mess, I nearly died. They were all lined up with these great big things of food and, and plonk onto your plate, you know, and then back to the table. And if you could eat it, you ate it. If you could, it was your bad luck. And there was a great big... 44-gallon drum where you scraped your plate into and rinsed it and then you took it away. And that was my introduction to the food at Hobsonville the first day. <laughs> God, it was horrible. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> I look back now and laugh. I wonder what the diggers I'd let myself in for. Did you find there was animosity from the men with the woman coming and taking... No, they were very good. Uh, the men in camp, we had no problems. We had more trouble with the um, uh, civilians, the women civilians in the shops. They, were, they thought we were prostitutes. They really did. They thought that's what we'd gone into camp for. Wow. And we had no uniforms to start with. We only had a, a sort of... A, one of those coats you put on, you know, uh, and and a hat with a badge on. And it was oh, it would have been a good eight or nine months before I got my uniform. Wow. Mm -hmm. Things were tight in those days. You know, I don't think people quite realise how serious the war was and how close those little yellow bellies were. Yeah. By golly. We used to get some frights in the islands. 
Oh, my word. They were closer than people realise. Did, did you take much notice um, of what was going on around you at Hobsonville with all the aircraft flying, that sort of thing? Oh, well, it was always there. I didn't take much notice, though. You get used to it. Yeah. Well, you see, we used to load them and unload them and unload, you know, put the ammunition aboard and the bombs and and all that sort of thing. So you were, you were actually doing that sort of work as well? Well, that was transport's job. Okay. You see, we drove the vehicles that carried all this stuff. And they uh, had to get the stuff to the plane somehow, and that's how it was taken. It was taken to a place that there were long little sort of... They were like small carts, I suppose, mechanised like little tra trains, and ammunition was put in those and it was rolled out to the aircraft. Fanuapai had the big stuff, they used to put this stuff up. I was at Fanuapai the night that big fortress went into the hill there. Right. That was nasty. That was horrible. We'd loaded it with bombs that day. Eleven young men. Blowing up in front of our eyes. Did you actually see it happen? Oh, well, you couldn't help it. You couldn't see it, but you could hear it. You see, Hobby was here, Fanuapai was over there. And uh, the, it, we, I, I was on ambulance duty and I was outside headquarters. And I heard a revving up. And uh, then I heard it going down the runway. And the next thing there was this explosion. God, what's happened? You never, you know, my ambulance went like that. The windows at Hobsonville were broken with the explosion, and it had taken off from Fanuapai like that, say that's the runway, and there was a hill like that, and it didn't go right over, and it hit the hill. And you wouldn't believe it, there was a house just to the right, I think it was, of the runway. And the wing of this plane went right over it, never, never marked it, and exploded over there. It was most peculiar. No one came out of that, of course. Eleven. It was pretty sad. But still, you learnt to take these things. Did, as you were on ambulance duty, did you have to go and attend the scene as well? Oh, if there was anything to be done, we did. Look, when, when it's wartime and you're in, in transport, you're about, you do what you're told and you go where you're told and you don't ask questions. That's it. And you just did these things. Never thought twice about it. That was part of our job. I didn't join up to be just a person sitting around in a pretty uniform. But uh, it was a lot of fun <laughs> at times. <laughs> but uh, what, what was the furthest trip that you would have made um, driving? Oh, goodness, goodness knows. We used to do... Uh, to go from Hobsonville to Auckland in those days, it was a long trip. You used to have to go down uh, the, the big straight where the one way wireless mask was, uh, and down there and into town and round um, Helensville that way. And it was a devil of a way into town. And you know, you, we'd do that trip sometimes three times a day, fully loaded. You'd go into town, and when we were unloading, of course, when we were unloading the Liberty ships, that's when we were very busy. We'd go into the work, into the wharf, with, with uh, Flight Dicky, and he'd load us. They'd load us up, and away we'd go and put some of the stuff at Only Hunger. We used to put it all over the place, and um, we could do that trip sometimes three and four times a day. We wouldn't finish till nine at night. That's why you kept in with the cooks. The cooks were our best friends. <laughs> how, how many 
people were in the transport section? Oh, God knows. Was it a big section? Oh, you mean his head hobby yeah, alone? Yeah, yeah. There were... They, well, to start with, there were only about... Um, I don't know. There would have been about six or eight, and then it grew a bit, but it never got very frightfully big because there were other... You see, around the camp, there was a lot of driving to do. You know, vans and deliveries and all that sort of thing. You see, all the rations had to be delivered to the messes and that sort of thing. The transport was a very busy section. But don't ask me how many used to be in it. God only knows. Did you drive around the VIPs as well? Oh, yes, down again. Mm, I did quite a bit of that at Wellington. So how long were you at Hobsonville before you moved on? Uh, oh, Lordy B. Um, I don't know. When I went down to Air Department. I don't know. About 18 months, I suppose, more. Then I went to Central Group, it closed. Then I went to Air Department. And from Air Department, I went over to Lathala Bay. And I came back from Lathala Bay. And I went to Rukahia. And uh, from there, I went to London to the Victory Parade. Okay. Hmm. So at Air Department, what was your main role? Oh, driving, driving the big wigs and being polite, if you could. The Air Department was in Stout Street, wasn't it? That's right. So where were you living? Oh, I was living in a flat with three others. Three other girls. We could live off station there. Otherwise, they had a great big awful old building in... Um, can't think of the name of the street as you went along, you turned right. Awful place. You had to go through the slums to get to Central Group, I know that. Oh, I can't remember. They had a, a, a hotel there, didn't they, for the WAPs, I think? No, not necessarily. They did in Hamilton. Right. We had some of them in Hamilton. Uh, in Wellington, they had more of these big old uh, sort of... Uh, I don't know what they had have been, been old boarding houses, I suppose, dreadful places. Like rabbit warrants. They were horrible. And uh, so as soon as I, I found these mates and we got a flat up on the terrace and we lived there and went to and from Stout Street to there. So you all waps together? Oh, I had three wrens with me, because they were three girls from uh, Te Awamushu. <laughs> Who were they, do you remember? The Pollards. But they're all dead now. So they're all sisters, were they? No, no, no. Uh, two were Pollards and the other one was Pat... Uh... Oh, I can't remember her name. Yeah. Doesn't matter. No. They, they worked... You see... It was a funny arrangement. They had a lot of civilians in the air department, in the different departments. Now, they worked for the Navy in the Stout Street building, but they were in civilian clothes. They weren't uh, in uniform or anything. They were civilians working for the Navy. I never could quite work it out. They did that in Tiawamutu with the WAFs. Well, they weren't called WAFs. They were just in the Air Force. And it was really quite weird. But, uh, oh, we just went along our own way. We had our own job of work to do. It was a busy one. And we just did it. Yep. I loved the Air Force. I'd go back in again if I had the chance. If it was wartime, I wouldn't go in a peacetime. It's too petty. There's a lot of pettiness in, 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 even in a war camp. These little poops that, you know come in and they think they're God Almighty if they get a stripe and oh dear <laughs> they had to keep in with us because we used to be a fair way out all the time we were a long way away from the camps and to pick up their dry cleaning and to get them this and that in town they had to keep in with us although we were in trouble
So living in Wellington at that time, it must have been quite an interesting place with all the, I suppose the Americans would have been They there. arrived, I'd been in Wellington well, quite a while when the when Yanks arrived. I remember the, when they arrived too. They marched along Lambton Quay, would it be? Or that main street, that big street where all the wolves are, they marched in there. I don't know how many of them were. And they went into camp outside, just outside Wellington. I know I had to take the CAS there one day. I can't remember the name of these places now. Was it Pycock or I think there were some at Pycock. Yes, it's all over the place they were. It'd be in all the books. And that's when they had the riots down there. Do you remember the, the uh, uh, war prisoners went on strike? The, the, that was a to-do. That'll be in the books. What, what do you remember about the riots? Were you actually in town at the time? Oh, I was at the air department and I had to take the uh, bigwigs out there, but we had no part in that sort of thing. We, we drove, shut our mouths and kept our eyes open. That's all we could do. You couldn't do anything else. But you, you were responsible to get people from A to B and stuff. So how did it come about that you went to Fiji? Central Group. To Fiji, to Lafayette. Oh, to Fiji. Well, they had a few girls over there, and some of them had gone a bit troppo, I think, and uh, so they um, sent some more of us, and I was one of the ones that went. Did you volunteer, or did, were you paid? Oh, oh I, I, I pounded them till they sent me overseas. I wanted to go further afield, but they wouldn't let us go. Lafayette Bay was as far as we were allowed to go. They wouldn't let us further. But uh, it was pretty rough up there, the islands in those days. Pretty rough. Very rough, actually. So when you arrived there, what, what um, happened? Were you put into a special WAFs barracks or...? What, in the islands? Oh, the barracks are up in the hill. Uh, it, well, the, the transport... The, the seaplane apron was here. I was, I was attached to Number 5 Squadron, which was the... Um, Seaplanes, Air Sea Rescue, and they, they, they were there, and our transport was here, and then up the road, up the hill, were our barracks. And that's where we, we lived in, in long barracks in the islands, and uh, we just went down to the transport yard, or someone got us as they wanted us in a hurry, and... Uh, but uh, it was mainly uh, looking after the Sea Rescue transport and that sort of thing. It was interesting. We loved the old Catalinas. They were wonderful old planes. Did you ever get to have a flying one? Oh, yes, often. On Sundays, they'd, they'd be taking, they'd say, come for a test flight, sis. So we'd load aboard and go for a picnic. <laughs> and they used to stand out in some harbour somewhere, it didn't matter where. Oh, wonderful old planes. We loved the old cats. And when we lost one now and again, we used to get very upset. <laughs> they, were, they were wonderful planes. I had a magnificent picture of one of them. I don't know where it is. The, the leader of five squadrons. It was a, a lovely one. She was flying like that. It was beautiful. What, the white cats. And the American cats were the blue cats. And they could land on the ground, as well as the water. But ours were amphibian. Oh, and when I went to Hobby, you know, they had the old, um, one of those funny old walrus flying boats there, at Hobsonville, to start with. Did you get any chance to fly while you were at Hobsonville? Oh, sometimes the, the pilots would say, coming up for, for a, a bird, we used to go up with them. But uh, we never really had time for this. You know, you kept pretty busy. And, oh, you got a bit sick of flying anyway. And, uh, but we, I went up in uh, 
you see, we had the training planes there. And uh, we used to go up in those, and some of them were a bit hairy. <laughs> some of them used to make some peculiar landings. <laughs> but uh, we had quite a few mishaps in the training section. And, uh, but it was a very good base, Hobsonville. It was a lovely little camp and a very happy camp. When Commander Seabrook was the CO there, and he was a very good one. Yeah. And, and Bolt, he was a darling. Bolt was the squadron leader, Bolt. He was the air engineer. He was the, the pilot. And just for a lurk to, to, to liven us up, number two hangar was sort of there. And, and those big hangar roofs, I don't know whether you've seen them, they come up like this, huge, great things. And then he had tilted like that, and Bolt had come in with his little gypsy moth, and <laughs> he got into trouble for that. <laughs> Some of them were daredevils, you know. We had Cos Newman there, and he was a lunatic. He was an absolute lunatic, the things he used to do. And if he spotted us coming home from town and the trucks loaded to the gunnels, He'd, he'd, he'd strafe us, you know, chase us. Oh, I could have killed him. <laughs> he thought it was hilarious. <laughs> he was really bad, that costume. No wonder he got all the decorations he did. He was a brilliant pilot. Well, he ended up the King's Flight. Yeah, Another yeah. one of the pilots there that was quite well known was um, Pete Jury. Do you remember him? He Who? Pete Jury. Berridge. Jury. 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 Uh, he was one of the test pilots there. Was he? Yeah. Oh, I right, he did. I don't, I, don't, I don't recall the name. No. Not Jury. But oh, that Newman. God, Drew's look out if he spotted you. If he was one of those plays and he spotted you out in the open, look out. <laughs> <laughs> after you. <laughs> we used to take no notice of them in the footage. Ah, oh, dear. You grew up in a big hurry. In those days, I was just a country girl and I certainly had my education finished. My word. What was the atmosphere like and the social life like at Five Squadron in Fiji? Uh, not a lot. Uh, we used to fraternise a lot with the Navy. And there'd be an odd dance out at uh, uh, one of the other airports. Uh, but not a lot of social life. Uh, there was the uh, club, the Air Force club. We could go in there if we liked, but they used to have very nice dances at the Grand Pacific. We used to go there. And, uh, but the, the, the social life was just simply made up of the forces. So you didn't really mix with the Fijians as such? Oh, not, not socially. Never. No. You never mixed with the natives. Well, what about the white Fijians, the ones that... Well, there weren't a lot left there. Uh, they were nice. Uh, we used to go to an odd meal at different houses, and uh, it was nice for a change. And... Uh, <laughs> but uh, she was a primitive place in those days. They got rid, uh, rid of a lot of the civilians from there, you know. And... Uh, they kept, some stayed back. Now, what are their names? The big uh, landowners, the... Uh, I know their names as well as my own. What old age does he? Uh, can't think of it at the moment. But they, they were lovely people, and they used to have us to build quite a bit and with a break from camp and, uh, but there, there weren't a lot of white civilians there at all. 
Not many at all. There were few in the outlying islands with plantations, but uh, we didn't have uh, we didn't go to there at all. We, we we sort of uh, were a closed sort of uh, lot over there. You see, you couldn't go anywhere except by plane. Oh, they had the. Um, launches, the high-speed launches and that sort of thing, but uh, we didn't use those. And now and again we'd borrow a, a little tinny with a motor on and go up the Dasuri River just to, for a little outing some Sundays and things like that. That sort of thing, you know, anything for just a change. It was, uh, it was a funny life. You, you were living in another world, you know. It was really, I often think back now and it just seems like a dream, all those years, but... Uh, did, did they have WAFs at um, the other Air Force base at Nasori where the bombs Oh, no. There's no WAFs there? No. Did you used to have to go, take transport up there, though, and, and work with those guys? Well, there were no WAFs at Nasuri. They, they, we worked Nasuri from, from uh, Blathala Bay. We, we used to tra uh, supply all the transport for there. See, the, this landing strip was there. We put in that landing strip. It was uh, that matting stuff for an emergency strip. And... Uh, they used that, and it wasn't far from Suva to Nasuri. Terribly rough roads, but we used to go so fast we just about fly them. <laughs> All confiscated vehicles. <laughs> oh dear. We're a pack of lunatics when I think back. Did you get a, um, a bit of time off where you could just go to the beach and, and be like a tourist or...? Oh, no, there was no such thing as a tourist. There were no touristy places, none at all, not one. It was just uh, a few uh, buries and things like that. There, were no, there was nothing touristy there when we were there, nothing. There was Suva and Nasuri and then there was the sugar cane place up at uh, thing, and, but uh, at Nandy, when we made the strip there, of course, uh, the different ones used to land there. We used to have to go out to meet them to bring them into Suva because they would be in uh, land planes, and we only uh, had the seaplanes at Lathala Bay. And. Uh, and the Governor General and his lady friend, oh, not lady friend, his wife, I should say, came and I to cart them round the island. Oh, God, what a boring trip that was. <laughs> he drove me back. They had two of the most dis horrible children I've ever met. They would keep touching things on the dashboard of the car, and I stopped the car at one stage. I said, you touch that again and you get into trouble. <laughs> and Mum and Dad sitting in the back, the Newmans. Oh. God, they were poofs. You know, those English people that came out here were proper poofs. They really were. <laughs> but, you know, there were little interludes that were amusing. <laughs> when when uh, they wanted to go up to Dandriovati, it was right up where the sugar cane is, and we carted them up there and left them there. And we came back and stayed at the nice little pub at the foot of the hill there. And there was it. I've got it somewhere in one of my albums. And we stayed the night there. It was nice. And went up and got them next day and took them around the rest of the island where there were roads passable. And uh, that was it. So they were really there on holiday themselves? Oh, they just came over to look, yes. Well, they, he was Governor General out here. This, this is Cyril Newell, isn't it? Yes, is he? Yes, wasn't he Governor here at one stage? Yes, he was. And they came over a goodwill trip to we poor uh, troops. 
<laughs> uh, misled, misjudged. How, how many WAFs were at Fiji uh, as a whole, sort of thing? What, what size? At was one, it? at once, uh, oh, there weren't, there weren't a lot. Uh, I can't think now. I'm just thinking of what barracks we had there, the top barracks. There wouldn't have been more than thirty uh, WAFs there. So you're a rare breed then, really, aren't you? Oh, yes. Oh, but then don't forget, after we left, others went. They went up, a lot of them went up, and they went after the war too, I believe. Okay. Hmm. So how long were you actually in Fiji for? Uh, Fifteen months. I kept getting fever, dengue fever. Horrible thing. Really was horrible. But uh, you, 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 you only need so long in those islands. You don't want to be there too long. Yeah. Especially in those days, of course, I've never been back. I never went back. Isn't it funny? I often thought I'd go back and have a look, and then I thought, no. Too many memories there. It'd be quite different now too, wouldn't it? Oh, yes, it would be the place that we knew. It was just a few old tin sheds, and uh, I tell you what, if you wanted clothes tailored, that was the place to get them done. Oh, those tailors. They were little tin sheds, and they used to make the most beautiful clothes. And they did, they'd make your whole suit overnight. And the fits and everything was just Indians. They were starting then to show signs of taking over because the Fijians are very indolent, you know, and uh, they'd rather sit down and drink kava and, and that sort of thing. And oh, that awful kava. And if you went to a ceremony, you had to drink it, otherwise it was an insult. One night we put a bit of gin in ours and oh dear, oh, <laughs> we got into big trouble. Because we went to get up, we found our legs were gone. <laughs> we were a pack of loons. <laughs> I got told off for that. See, I went crookedly to that. You only have more sense. <laughs> you know, people you never in your wildest dreams would ever imagine you'd come across when you get into the forces. But of course, the transporters, we seem to be more separate from the rest of them because we're always on the go. And we'd come into camp, and we had our barracks in camp, of course, and uh, we'd have weeks in camp sometimes and then go off again on all sorts of trips. And uh, we would uh, tied into camp like a lot of them. The people in the stores and the headquarters and that, I'd have gone donk, yeah. I couldn't have been, it would have been awful. You're staying in a camp all day. And, uh, but uh, <laughs> it was an experience of a lifetime. I'm glad I had it, but not for the reason we had it. But uh, I'd go back by the chance if I was young. I, I like the forces life, I like the military life. You see, you can either take the discipline or you can leave it. You please yourself. And I was brought up fairly strictly at home and I had no problem uh, with the discipline. It, it was just part and parcel of uh, being in, the, in, in uniform. And we were very proud of our uniforms, very and uh, sort of felt we were doing something because things were pretty horrible, weren't they? And of course I had my brothers overseas and... Were your parents worried with all of you overseas? Oh, terribly. Poor old mum. But she was a brave woman, that one. The boys had gone and then I went home and told her I joined up. She said, you're far too young, you're not going to join up. I said, well, I'm going to, you know. 
So I joined up, and then I wanted to go overseas, you see, and I had to get permission. And what a job I had to persuade her to give me permission to go. But I got it in the finish. Persistence. <laughs> oh, well. Do you think that if um, Fiji had suddenly become under direct threat from the Japanese, if they knew they were coming, would they have got the WAFs out? Oh, yes, they'd have had us out like nobody's business. They'd, they'd never have run the risk of us ever being caught by them, I'm quite sure, because uh, they'd have filled the cats up and taken us off. But, uh, well, I think they'd have taken everyone off if the Japs had come round because we had nothing to fight with. <coughs> oh, no, they'd never have left us there. I hope. <laughs> I wouldn't like to be left there. Did they give you any weapons training or anything like that? Oh yes, we went down on the range once and in, in the old... When we first went into Hobsonville, the old guards that used to be there in the early days were still there. And very much the old military, you know. And they got us down on the range and, and these living great COCs, we could hardly lift them up. And I, and I put it up, and, and he said, now hold it tight, because it kicked kicks, and then he broke my right shoulder. <laughs> they thought it wasn't a good idea to teach the girls to use 303s. <laughs> so they gave that away. <laughs> no, we didn't have weapon training. The, uh, the men would have looked after us pretty well if anything had gone wrong. Yeah. So we would have... So from Fiji you came back to Rukahia. Tell, tell me about that. Uh, oh, did I come back to Rukahia? I, no, I think I went to Mechanics Bay and from there we went to Rukahia. I can't quite remember that period. It was a funny time. The Air Force was sort of scrambling around a bit. And uh, Mechanics Bay closed, and then Rukahia came into being. And it was from Rukahia that I went to Britain. So where were the WAFs um, living at Rukahia? In the, in the huts down on the water. You know, you know, you know the river, the Waikato River? Yep. Well, all along there, we had barracks. Down at the Narrows? Yeah. Mm. Right. We used to walk up and down to the transport yard. Okay. Hmm. They say it's a big aerodrome now. I haven't been back there. But, so the um, uh, transport section would have been going between Rooker here and Hamilton with all the repair depot and Oh, stores. yes. We used the transport all the time, our own transport. Yeah. Mm. Well, was Rooker here a good base? Good. Oh, it was. It was a. Uh, it was a, a sort of a free and easy camp, if you know what I mean. After the wartime camps, you see, war had finished then, and of course, we all of we crowd, who'd been in so long, we were as cunning as foxes, and we got away with murder. And we played up a bit at Rooker here, but it was, it, was, it was a good camp. Good camp. Yep. And we transporters saw that we were all well looked after. <laughs> but, uh, no, it was a good camp. And we had a, a CO there, Johnny Johnson. A, a small man, Johnny, he was a marvellous pilot in his day. And he had a kitty hawk rubbed down as silver. You know, it was, she was all silver. And my God, he used to put up aerobatics for us. On the, he used to frighten the life out of us. Oh, he was a daredevil. And this was his plane. No one else was allowed to touch it. Oh, dear, oh me. And of course, it was the graveyard out there. That was sad. The boys would be bringing all these aircraft in for storage. And they stored the right round the perimeter. 
And we used to cart them out. We had special things attached to the tractors and uh, cart them right out to the other side of the drove. And we had to guard all those because people got in to steal all the instruments and things out of them. Magnificent stuff in some of them. And uh, so they had those under guard all the time. They had to. And uh, it was very sad, really. And then they sold them and they were broken to pieces and, oh. But some of the boys had bought in their bombs and things. It was really quite pathetic. They used to cry and everything, you know, it was awful. And they always had their marks on how many bombs they'd used and struck. So they get quite emotional saying goodbye oh, to them. very, when they let, said goodbye to their aircraft. Indeed, they did. Yeah. Because mm. some of them have been flying those big bombers for a long time. Yes, they used to get very emotional, some of them. Nothing to do, we used to just hook these big hooks onto the between the wheels and uh, we towed with the tractor, towed them across and we had uh, places for the different aircraft. The big fellas had to go at the back and the smaller ones at the front, but we had hundreds of them there. We had uh, uh, two hangars full of planes that had never been used wow. out there. Oh, you'd get a shock if you knew half what was went on. There must have been a real feeling of an end of an era after the after the war and everything was. It was a funny feeling. It we, we, no, all of us who'd been actually through the war years, had never sort of folded the air force the same as when it was wartime. If you know what I mean, because all these uh, civvies were coming in and they didn't know what the diggers they were talking about and they used to drive us mad. And, uh, and we had to teach them their jobs before we could get out. Otherwise, if we'd all walked out, they wouldn't have had anyone in there. So we had to wait a bit and uh, take them, but uh, it was an experience, that's for sure. Where was your mess facilities at, at Rookahere? Was that down on the Narrows or did you have to walk up to the station? At uh, Rookahere? Yeah. Uh, where did we mess there? Oh no, there was a big, uh, the, the, the huts were around, the, the rivers are here, yeah. and the huts were here, and the mess hall was here. Okay. Mm. Mm. Yes, I remember that quite well. That mess hall, it was... Uh, Big, big building. And we had a cook there called Auntie Mary. She was a wonderful cook, Auntie Mary. And we had some super food. <laughs> we made up for us. <laughs> yeah, she was a marvellous cook. But uh, you met some great characters, you know. Wonderful characters. What about, um, I believe most of the WAF uh, sections had one sort of matronly WAF in charge, just to make Oh, we had a, 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 a WAF in charge. She was usually a squadron officer, and uh, and she was in charge of us. But uh, we used to be all over the camps and that. But she was in charge. But uh, it didn't worry we transport as much at all because we were very seldom in camp. But there was always a, a head waif. Had to have that. Usually called the Queen Bee, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, we used to call her the Queen Bee. She never caught up with any of us, though. <laughs> we got too shrewd for her. <laughs> uh, we had some nice ones and some silly witches, but uh, uh, it was good fun. So tell me about getting selected to go to London. Well, that was a surprise. I never thought I had a show. Hell, I didn't even put my name in. The uh, the WAF officer did. 
evidently, and uh, I was uh, loading trucks at the Hamilton Railway Station. And I had a message to go back to camp that uh, Squadron Leader Johnson wanted to see me, and I thought, oh, hell, what have I been up to? <laughs> he always had a guilty conscience. <laughs> and <laughs> I went back and I went into Johnny's office and stood there very smart, and he said, you better go get packed, you're going to London. I said, you're kidding. He said, oh, he said, you're one of the select to go to the victory parade. She could have knocked me over with a feather. I never, I don't know how or why, but I was selected to go. And how did you guys go? Did you all go as one big group on a ship or? Oh, we went on the Monganui. We had the Monganui. She was kept for the victory parade. And we went uh, Panama and came back Suez. Mm, there were two, 240 of us on board. She was an old hospital ship, lovely old ship. She used to roll badly in the bad weather. They were always sick. I never got sick, I was lucky. But we called it at the different ports, which was very interesting. And uh, had a look. And tell me about actual Actually, in London, what was that like in London? Oh, lovely. I loved London. It was all very battered and knocked about a bit. But, oh, those English people, they were wonderful. I don't know how they stood it, you know. That rationing, oh, it was terrible. We had our own ration tickets and we took our own um, food and uh, we had the, the New Zealand club in Lounge Square, and we used to have a lot of meals there. And uh, we couldn't buy anything at all without a ration ticket. And if I saw a long queue, I used to see someone who looked really bedraggled and give them my ration tickets. I didn't need them. Or if you went to stay with someone, you had to give them your ration tickets. But when we went ashore, uh, we were allowed to go into the uh, <coughs> shop on the ship and they had boxes like this of chocolate and stuff. We could take that and soap uh, as gifts. Your soap was all, that was the thing. And if you stayed with someone, you left a cake of soap. And uh, I gave a little boy a piece of chocolate one day, he didn't know what it was. Hmm. They had a rough time. <sighs> brave, brave people. It was sad, you know, you'd walk along and see these big gaps and buildings all smashed to pieces. And, and you wonder why. When you see what's going on now, I wonder why. London took a pasty. The parade itself? Mm, oh, that was fantastic. Did, did you have to practice for it? Or? Oh, yes. We used to have to go in. We were at Bushy Park, and we used to go into <coughs> excuse me, Hyde Park every day. <coughs> and the uh, SWO used to teach us the uh, dress marching, you know. Not, not that we could understand a word he said. <laughs> of course, some of them abroad, and uh, no, we went through. It was a long march, but we but we had the whole of the fifty first and fifty second Highlanders leading us, and we could hardly even hear the pipes of the noise of the crowd, and the crowd kept surging in towards us, and they had to put the guards along our ranks to keep people back a bit. Oh gave us a reception. You've no idea. We marched right from Hyde Park to um, Westminster Abbey and we stayed outside and, and the whole of the thing was uh, relayed to us out into the park. It was, it was really a magnificent thing. It's something you could never describe. 
I've forgotten how many troops there were. Different from different countries. Some thousands. And uh, it was very colourful, of course, with all the different uniforms and it was a magnificent sight. Well, well, we went and saw the pictures that night. They they took a film of it, and we were able to go and watch it because we couldn't see any of it. <laughs> but it was a wonderful sight. Must have been quite a privilege to be there, I guess. Oh yes, indeed, it was indeed. That's why I don't know how the devil I got there. <laughs> it was indeed. And there was a little bit of sticking too about it. You know, some of them are very nasty that weren't chosen. There's nothing to do with me. But uh, some of them are very nasty. However, I got there and back. That's the main thing. Yep. Mm. But I loved I loved that part of it. it was marvellous. Are, are there any sort of last stories that you want to um, tell? Any any other memories that? Oh, I think uh, the victory parade was the highlight of my whole career. But um, my stint in the islands and, and, and the whole whole thing was a. A busy, busy time. And we took it very seriously. Very. But uh, other than that, uh, it's very difficult to, to try and uh, think back what you are really wanting. It's really the history you want, isn't it? So you go right back to the beginning. You've done wonderfully. This has been really, really good. It's exactly what we want. Mm. What you've been doing. All these great little stories and mm. the humour and I could tell you some stories but I wouldn't dare. I'll bet. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear oh me. It's amazing what comes out in mother's little girl when she's away from home. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> Now, I, would, I was uh, fortunate. I must have done a good job of work, otherwise I wouldn't have been chosen to go to London but, um, or to go to the islands. And uh, I, I did my job and I didn't, get, I didn't get on the mat once in all those years. So uh, that was shrewdly. We transport drivers were a pack of rogues, you know. We used to run the camps. People couldn't go anywhere or do anything without us. <laughs> oh dear. But oh, there were some stupid creatures, but there were some lovely people. I met some lovely people. Really lovely people. That was the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood. I love to climb an apple tree, though apples green are bad for me. And I'll be sick as I can be, it's foolish, but it's fun. While wise men figure time and space and get all wrinkled in the face, I'm loafing in some shady place, it's foolish, but it's fun. If it should ever come to pass that I inherit wealth, I'll eat and drink and drink and eat until I wreck my health. I love to ramble orderly and chase the busy bumblebee. And though the bee may light on me, it's foolish, but it's fun. When thunderstorms put folks to rout and no one dares to venture out, that's when I love to slosh about. It's foolish, but it's fun. I like to be on friendly terms with polywogs and angleworms and all the very deadly germs. It's foolish, but it's fun. I love to sit beside a brook and wait for fish to bite. And though they never do it nice to think, perhaps they might. While 
love this climb the mountains high beneath the tree I love to lie and watch the snails go whizzing by it's foolish but it's fun